Welcome to the Emerge Thriving Podcast, wellness designed for real life. In these conversations, we focus on topics that impact our everyday lives. Forgiveness, self-worth, resiliency, embracing self-care, the power of nutrition, and so much more. Life isn't always easy, but together we can take steps towards a thriving life. Today, we're talking about how to take steps towards a stronger sense of well-being and recognizing the importance of our personal value. Katie Carroll, pediatric nurse, health coach, founder of Katie Carroll Coaching, and creator of the podcast Thriving Joy, is joining us to explore how we can choose to cultivate a stronger sense of self-worth and the impact that that can have in our life. Thank you for being with us, Katie. We're so glad to have you. Before we get started, please feel free to introduce yourself to our listeners. Thank you, Amy. I'm so excited to be here for you and your community. So again, my name is Katie Carroll, and I just turned 44 years young last week. And like you said, I've been a pediatric nurse for 21 years, and now I'm also a certified life coach for the past five years as well as a personal trainer for the past four years, because I love moving my body and I love also the mind and the spirit. And I am just passionate about self-care and knowing your self-worth and loving yourself to be able to show up in this world exactly as you are today. I really appreciate it. We needed that kind of encouragement and to be reconnected with that truth. Because self-worth, this is something I've personally experienced and something I've seen in others as we have these conversations about health and wellness. Self-worth is a topic that comes up time and again as we navigate the healing process. And also while as we're confronted by challenges that feel insurmountable. For me personally, I felt that my self-worth was tied to my ability to perform, to my words, beliefs, even how I looked the clothes I wore. So there can be a a wide variety of influences that send the message that we're not enough unless we act a certain way, look a certain way, and achieve certain things. And I've seen and experienced how overwhelming this can be, debilitating, and really an incredible burden to carry. Before we get started, it's important to note that each life journey is unique. And it comes with its own challenges and perspectives. And today we're talking about some basic elements of personal worth that can aid us on our our own unique and individual journeys toward that continued healing and personal growth. As we dive in, just so we're kind of on the same page, when we're talking about self-worth, what are we referring to? And then also, can you provide some examples? of what self-worth can look like in our lives and what it's meant for you? Yes, I love that question, talking about self-worth, because I think that it's been very easy to confuse self-worth with self-love, or do you think you're worth something? And growing up, I had a wonderful childhood and amazing parents and siblings and friends and communities. So when I thought about, do I love myself, self-worth, when I was in my 
later 20s into my 30s, I thought, yeah, I love myself because I was surrounded by love. But I learned that just because you're surrounded by love doesn't mean that you love yourself or that you think you're worth something. I love to always talk about my nephews and when they were born, they were born enough and we were all born enough. And I always say that when I was born, obviously I don't remember that day, (laughs) but my parents held me in their arms. And I kind of make a joke sometimes that, do I think that God, my higher power, the universe came down and said to my parents while they were in their glory, oh, congratulations on your daughter. You know, here she is. And she's not enough. Like, this is what I'm giving you today, eight pounds, you know, and maybe one day she'll achieve everything she needs to be enough. But this is what I could give you now. And the thing is, is that we were born enough and we've always been enough, but we lose it somewhere along the way. And I'm not sure when, depending on things that happen in people's lives, sometimes I think it's probably around the middle school years because that's when we're really aware of ourselves and others, how we may look different or act different. And then we start comparing ourselves and wanting to fit in or feeling like an outsider. And then we start this journey of trying to prove that we're as good as someone else, that we're enough. And for me, it led into my 20s, into my 30s, where I was looking to the outside world to complete me because I wasn't feeling enough as a woman in the fact that I thought my life was going to go a certain way and that it was going to look a certain way. I was going to get married and have the kids and the house and the dog and the fence. And it wasn't looking like that. So I was feeling lacking, like a puzzle on a table and just multiple pieces were missing. And I was not a complete person. And that was a very devastating and dark time for me in my life. And maybe I didn't have the right verbiage to say, I don't feel enough, but it's, it's what I was feeling. It, And it felt like anxiety and sadness. And it looked like me crying into my pillow every night when I went to bed, wondering what was wrong with me. Why didn't I have everything I thought I was going to have? Why didn't my life look like everybody else's life around me? That really resonates with me. Mm. I feel like, speaking just for myself, it almost felt like there was a template that I was supposed to fit into. This is what your life's, you're going to want to get married. You're going to want to have kids. Make sure you marry someone that brings such and such to the table. You need to have exactly the same beliefs almost in every single way. And there's very few areas where it's okay to be around and with people who think differently, Mm. who act differently. It was just kind of this immersive experience about what I was supposed to be how I was supposed to measure up, and then who I surrounded myself with or who I partnered with, how they were supposed to measure up. And I think that the pressure maybe isn't presented to you in this immense way. It's kind of messages you get throughout your whole life. 
when you get to this point where you're supposed to be making these decisions or be reaching these milestones or whatever, the pressure is immense when you feel like you're not measuring up to what somebody else has put in front of you. And then I, I also personally just felt like this angst, like this isn't something that I would have chosen for myself. This is something that you're choosing for me. And I'm feeling bad about myself based on what it, the expectations you're putting in front of me. And so then there we go into that comparison. You almost have to compare yourself in order to understand what it is that you're supposed to be and what it is that this per, that is being expected of you. Here's the template. How do you measure up to the template? And if something's wrong, it's not the template's fault, it's you. Mm-hmm. And I, I know the next part of our conversation is going to be is going to be to talk about that because it is so important. And it's a huge part for you is to help people understand why it's so important to break free from the comparison syndrome. Can you tell us, speak more about that and and why it's so important to resist the compulsion to compare ourselves to others? Oh, Amy, I know. I feel the same way. Like everything we're talking about, it's like I'm diving into my laptop and I love that you say the template. And, you know, in our prior conversation, when we had talked about, it's basically that our brains have been wired in a certain way. I mean, it's been generation after generation after generation. And granted, generations look different now that they, than they did then. But for the most part, women became the wife, they stayed at home, and they had the children. Nowadays, more women are going back to school, furthering their education. They're maybe working out of the home, but they're still having the children. They're having the husband and the family. And as a little girl, I'm the oldest of three. I have two younger brothers. And when my youngest brother was born, I was already six years old. And so I carried him around the house and played house with him. I had all my doll babies and my mom and I played this game where I would walk into the kitchen with one of my doll babies and my mom would look at me and say, Mary, how are you? It was just this made up name. And it was this game where we were friends and we wouldn't see each other for long periods of time. But every time I saw her, I had a new baby. And she would say to me, oh, Mary, how are you? How many children do you have now? And I would say, oh, I have three. You know, I mean, it got up to like six, seven, you know, and And as a seven, eight, nine-year-old, you know, you're not really thinking, but my mom as an adult is thinking, oh girl, nine kids. Like, but that was me. And I started babysitting at 12 years old, 13 years old, being a mother's helper. And then in high school, every Saturday night babysitting and then living with families for the summers through my college years, babysitting going to nursing school, wanting to be a pediatric nurse. So my whole life, since I was a little girl, was basically walking along this path that I was going to be a mom. I mean, that was like, you know, no question that was going to happen. And that was the template that was formed, right? I mean, people would talk, you're going to be such a good mom one day, you know, when I would be babysitting, then I became a pediatric nurse. And the problem was then with the template is that I found myself in my late 20s. All my friends were starting to get engaged. And here I was very single, deciding to be a traveling nurse, moving around the country. 
And then I was flying home from my friends' weddings and then being their maid of honor or a bridesmaid. And then here I was in my early 30s and my friends were putting up their birth announcements and I was going to their baby's christening and first birthday party. And then I was approaching my mid to late 30s and my best friends were having their second child, their third child. And just like you said, I love how you said that, like the angst and the pressure, because I almost picture it like a pressure cooker, right? Like we use our pressure cooker all the time here at home. And I picture that like the more that this was happening in the world and the older I was getting and I was moving farther away from the template, the angst and pressure inside of me was building. And what it looked like was me running like a hamster on a wheel, like faster and faster and harder and harder because it was like, I have to, oh my God, I have to work even harder. Now I'm 35, now I'm 36, now I'm 37. Like if I keep working harder and faster, if I keep working out every day as hard as I can, if I try to be perfect at everything that I do, then maybe eventually it'll come, right? Like I'll meet that man and I'll get married and I'll have that baby. But the harder and harder I worked, if you can imagine like a hamster on a wheel going as fast as he can, but then like you 10 exit and he's going 10 times faster. I mean, eventually he falls off the wheel. Eventually the wheels come off the bus. And what it looked like for me was like I said, crying into my pillow every night, wondering what my purpose was in this world, pulling into work every day with anxiety, drinking wine every night, even the days that I didn't work at night when I was cooking dinner, pouring a glass or two of wine and falling deeper into this depression on the inside that my life wasn't looking the way it should. And I just did a whole post about shooting on ourselves because my life was, Katie, you should. Like you should be married by now. Like you should have a kid by now. And people would look at me with this kind of like their head, like cocked to the side, like you, oh, you haven't found anybody yet. You don't have kids. yet. I've had people ask me flat out, how old are you? You know, and kind of like the time's kind of running out. And on the outside, I tried to put on a smile, like this armor that everything was okay, right? Like I worked out really hard. And if my outer appearance like looked good and fit and strong, then maybe nobody would know that on the inside, my soul was slowly dying. And so that's why now I know that sharing my story is my mission. Because if I can help one woman out there that feels like me, that felt like me, that has never shared her story then I'll know that my work has been done because that's really at the core of my story of my life and where it has brought me to today. And I can't neglect or deny that that was my journey. It almost feels like when we have the template and when we're steered in a certain direction about how we should be and what our life should look like, the separation between ourselves and who we really feel like we are at the core essence of who we are and our ability to lean into that and to pivot when life has its twists and turns. It's kind of, you know, we get further and further separated from that because we're really trying to hold on so rigidly to a template that maybe was 
started to put in place when we were really young. I mean, here we are 20, 30, 40 years away from when some of those conversations were happening and taking place, but they're so imprinted in us when our instinct is to want to be ourselves, to connect with ourselves and to pivot when things, you know, a relationship doesn't work out or you want a career change or you're looking for something different. You want to travel, but you feel self-conscious about doing it alone. There's this deep breath that we want Mm -hmm. to take and really like embrace the life that we have and lean into it. But there's this stigma and this shame because it's a different than what we thought we were supposed to have or what a good life looks like. So I really appreciate you sharing that and sharing your story and helping people through that process of identifying kind of that maybe preset template or expectation that maybe they had for themselves or others had for them. And then really taking a look, what is it that is important to me? Mm-hmm. Who am I really? What brings joy to me? And what do I want my life to look like? And to really connect with that in a way that feels fulfilling. I think this leads naturally into the next part of our conversation, which is I think a really important part of the conversation for yourself, you're a pediatric nurse. So perfectionism was a large part of your role in even your identity too. So what are your thoughts on perfectionism now at this point of your life? And what are your thoughts on how we can work through the need to get things just right or to gravitate towards that template kind of life or expectation that's been set for ourselves, maybe by ourselves or by others? Yeah, I love that perfectionism because I always say, Amy, that I'm a perfectionist in recovery, but I think I'm still recovering. I'm a recovering perfectionist. You know, growing up again, and I do I do think that so many things are linked back to our childhood. And I think because, you know, so many thoughts and perceptions are ingrained in those first like seven years of our life that I've heard people say. And so, like I said, I'm the oldest of three with two younger brothers and they were always fighting like boys do, right? Wrestling. My grandma would always be yelling, stop the wrestling. But they were always wrestling and being boys and jumping off the couch and jumping downstairs. And my father would yell at them all the time. And when my father yelled, it like shook the house. I don't want to say I was perfect. But I was like a pretty good daughter. And yeah, I'm sure there were times that we argued and fought, me and my brothers. But for the most part, it was them. Like I was the only girl. So I was like just doing my thing. But what I learned was that I didn't want my father to yell. So I didn't want to get in trouble. And what that looked like was like being perfect. I mean, even like not spilling the milk at the dinner table, getting good grades. You know, my parents never smacked the ruler on the table and said, you better get an A on this test. I just did it. I just got the A's and the B's. I think because I was feeling like, okay, I want to be good. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to get yelled at. So then what did that look like? I was an AB student in high school. I wanted to do well. I wanted to perform well in everything that I did. I remember I played like a couple sports here and there. I was never an athlete. I was never great. But I played softball 
for a couple of years and I was the catcher. And I remember missing a catch at home plate and other teams scored. And I remember crying. Now, I don't know how old I was, like seventh grade or eighth grade, but here I am. It's like seventh or eighth grader catcher on a softball team. And I start crying, right? Because I let that person score. But then it translated into high school years of doing well in school, being well, like always looking like the good girl, right? Like when you could leave school to go to lunch when you were a junior or senior, but as a sophomore, you couldn't. Well, some of my sophomore friends would go with our junior and senior friends out to lunch and I would stay back because I didn't want to get in trouble and get yelled at. So I would stay back by myself and eat lunch. In college, I strove for perfectionism. I was like a BC student in nursing school, right? It was really challenging for me studying and taking tests, but wanting to be good and perfect. And then transitioned into being a nurse. And like you said, you know, here I am, and now I'm taking care of children's lives. So over my 21 years of nursing and speaking to many, many nurses, we all have this type A perfectionism, most of us. And we want to do things a certain way because we think we can do it better than anybody else. Even if our coworker can do it, we're kind of thinking, I'll just do it because I can do it my way and my way is the right way in my mind. Unfortunately, what I've learned, especially over the past couple of years, is that there's nothing as, nothing is perfect in life. Something may be perfect in your eyes. Like, People's children, in their eyes, they're perfect. They're beautiful, right? Like when I talk about being at work, like work, the way I do something is perfect in my mind, but the way my coworker next to me does it is perfect in her mind. And unfortunately, when we try to be perfect at everything we do in life, when you strive, right, to hit that bar, like if you strive for 100 on an exam and you get a 98, you immediately feel like a failure. Even though a 98 is still an A, you feel like a failure. And so what happens is then we start living this life of striving for perfection, setting the bar really, really high, and it never hits that that bar for the most part. Like, let's say we meet someone and we think this is going to be the perfect relationship, right? And then things start getting a little bit rocky. And immediately you feel like it's a failure. So you're, you're immediately disappointed in yourself, in the situation. And one of the things in my life that has really taught me a huge lesson in perfectionism is yoga. I started doing yoga about maybe five years, five, six years ago. That is something where I was trying to nail all the positions perfectly, right? Because Part of me was like, well, if I don't do it perfectly, then I'm not getting the benefit. And was it a good workout? And then will people be looking at me? And what if I fall out of the pose? But what I've learned in yoga, which has been a huge lesson for me off the mat as well, is that first of all, nobody's looking at you, right? You're just in your mind. Everybody's looking at me trying to do this pose. But when you stretch yourself and try to do the pose and you fall out, the lesson there is to get back in and try it again. Because the only way you're going to get better at something or stronger is if you try it 
and most likely fail, but then get back in and try it again. Because in life, there's so many things that we probably don't try because of fear. We're scared that we're going to look funny or silly. So we don't do it. And maybe it's something that seems silly to you, right? Like you're at a party and there's a karaoke machine and you don't get up and sing because you think, well, what if people laugh at me or think I'm funny or if I don't nail the song, right? But the bigger things in life, like starting your own business, right? Going back to school for something, launching a podcast, going live on Facebook, right? On a topic that you're passionate about. If you never try those things, then you're keeping your dreams and your hopes deep inside of you and you're never giving them a chance to come out because until you learn that it's not going to be pretty the first time, you're going to fall out of the pose, you're going to say something wrong, you're going to miss a word, until you learn that that's okay. If I can get back in and try it again, that's when I'll become stronger. And what one of the lessons that I hope to bring to my clients and my community is that by me trying something and failing, making a mess of something and then trying it again, maybe that will give someone else permission to say, you know what, maybe I'll try it too. And if it doesn't kill you, let's be honest, right? If you want to try to go live on Facebook or Instagram, or you try to launch a course or a five-day challenge, and it doesn't really go the way you planned, let's be honest, it didn't kill you, right? If 2020 has taught us anything, it's that life is precious. We only have this one beautiful life. So try it. So what? You launched something, nobody signed up. Didn't kill you. You're still alive. And most people probably don't even know, you know, really what transpired there. And the lesson to learn is to try it again, because each time you try, you will get stronger in the belief in yourself that you can do it, in overcoming the fear that is there, and in learning nothing's perfect in life, right? I did, I tried this, it didn't go so good. I tried it again, came out a little bit better. I appreciate so much of what you're sharing because it's something that's really helped me navigate life. Of course, like you're, the way you're sharing it and the, the guidance that you're providing here is so succinct and it's flowing from a place of experience. And as I was trying to kind of maneuver through life, it was a lot more haphazard and kind of learning and little bits and stuff. But some of the things that have helped me is allowing myself room to grow that recognizing i'm not i'm not inherently this is going to sound ridiculous cuz it's we all know this this is an obvious statement i'm not inherently perfect duh right obvious <laughs> or why am i trying to hold myself to the expectation that i am it's easy to say that and it's harder in those moments when i have been trying to do yoga and it's funny that you say everything that you share today cuz that is exactly one of the things that bothered me about yoga is kind of have to be flexible to get into some of the positions. And I don't have enough grace for myself to realize that yoga on day one is going to be completely different than yoga on day 200. And I also know this from trying to explore 
yoga, that there's an immediate benefit when you are able to sink into it, to breathe into it, to stretch into it, that there's an immediate benefit, even if you're not nailing the moves, as you mentioned. And I really like what you're sharing about, really you're talking about breaking down stigma within the community and within ourselves. So allowing your yourself that space to be the human version of you and not trying to be the perfect version of you. And if, if we live our life that way, then we create room for other people to live their life that way. And if we do that, that really creates a much better space for personal healing and growth. If you are experiencing trauma, anxiety, or social anxiety, where these mindsets and the things that we're talking about, they are beneficial, but there may be some root things that you need to work on that will aid you in actually implementing what we're talking about. That healing and therapy, it, for me specifically, have gone a really long way. Some of these thought processes have really helped me in cultivating hope and cultivating self-love and creating that day-to-day way of interacting with life, giving myself grace. It was really important along the way. And then a specific, you know, trauma-informed therapy then helped to get at some of those root layers. And then when the two came together, it really opened up my life in, in a real meaningful way. So I just want to encourage anyone who's listening who may be really wanting to take those steps, but there's just this real deep hesitation that therapy has been a really great place for to get at some of those root layers too, um, which actually segues well into the next part, which is self-care. It's a really important part of living well and having a real sense of overall well-being. So as a nurse, what are some of your thoughts on self-care and what does self-care look like in your life? Oh, this is my jam, Amy, you know. <laughs> so I, um, I started speaking on self-care a couple years ago, and I c- currently speak every month to the new hire nurses at my hospital during orientation, which has been amazing. And I, I speak mostly to nurses and healthcare professionals. And the thing is, is when I graduated nursing school 21 years ago, I had no idea what self-care was. And the biggest joke I say when I speak is that, you know, when you were handed your nursing diploma, did you give away the right to your self-preservation? Because going into this occupation of nursing, I mean, you are truly giving to everybody else first. And rightfully so, your patient is your priority that day. But there's a fine line there because if you don't fill up your cup, and that's what I have learned after maybe 15, 16 years of nursing, when I was going through my deepest burnout, I was realizing that I was coming into work on empty. And the analogy I always use is our gas tank, right? When we go on a road trip, you know, we always make sure we have a full tank of gas because we'd never want to run out of gas in the middle of a highway at night while it's raining by ourselves. So we're always watching that gas gauge and we never want it to go to E. And when that red light comes on, I don't know if anybody else, I get like this little panic, like have to find the closest gas station. And if you live in New Jersey, there's like a gas station on every corner. So, but as humans, we let 
our gas gauges go to E. And I always joke that it would be great if the gas gauge was on our head because then we could look at our coworker and say like, oh, Amy, girlfriend, it's time for you to go take a break. You're getting to E. And then I picture the gas tank in my car. And I've heard people say it's not good to let it go to empty because there's like a lot of sludge at the bottom and you know you don't want your car running on that. And so I picture as a human being, as a nurse, as myself, when I was coming into work and I hadn't filled up my tank, what was coming out was sludge for 12 and a half hours. And we all know those people that we work with that, you know, they come into work and they're immediately in a bad mood. They don't have many good things to say. They're negative, the negative Nancys of the world. And the problem is that you get in a cycle, right? You don't, you're not really aware of the fact that you're not filling up your tank. And in a profession such as nursing, you're give, 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 and you go home and I was single for a very long time living by myself. So I would come home, but what did I want to do? I wanted to pour some wine, sit on the couch, scroll on social media, watch The Bachelor, because it was like, I thought that that was my reward for taking care of people all day. And what I have learned is that I like to interchange the word now self-care with self-preservation. Because self-care gets a bad rap when people say like, oh, it's self-care Saturday. It's time to get a manicure or pedicure or massage, right? And believe me, I love all those things and I do them on the regular. But to me, they're the bonuses, right? Like having a delicious dinner and a bottle of wine, like, yes, that's great. And it tastes great in the moment. But self-preservation are the things that you do that usually aren't fun, like going to bed an hour earlier or drinking your water or ordering the side of vegetables instead of the side of fries with dinner, right? Like self-preservation usually isn't like this fun, what am I trying to think of, instant gratification that like a manicure is or a massage, right? Self-preservation are the things that you are going to do that literally are going to help you preserve life and limb. And so in my occupation of nursing, I have learned that A, going to bed an hour earlier when I have to get up at 4 a.m. and drive 40 minutes to work and spend 12 and a half hours at work and drive the 40 minutes home. So staying up late the night before is not going to serve me. It's not going to serve my coworkers or my patients. I've also learned things like preparing my meals and bringing my food to work because food is fuel for our body. That's self-preservation. Walking into work, not having your food with you, not knowing if you're going to order out, go to the cafeteria, get the non-healthy option. It's not going to be good for you physically that day right? Because you're not eating, then you're hungry, then your blood sugar drops, then you have a headache, then you're hangry. And over time, not eating well, ordering out every day, going to the cafeteria every day and getting chicken fingers and French fries, eventually is not going to be good for your body. So those are the things when I think about self-care, self-preservation, that 
Self-preservation is what are you doing to actually sustain you in this career, in this life? And I was talking yesterday to one of my coworkers and she runs marathons. And she was saying how when you're doing something for yourself, when you're investing in yourself for something as a marathon, self-care looks like saying no to the friends that are going out on Friday night to grab a couple beers because you know you have to get up Saturday and run 10 miles. Self-care is, and I know that we'll get into it too with the setting the boundaries and the saying no to people. I mean, that is huge part of self-care because as women, I can only speak about being a woman, but I do believe that as women, we are ingrained to give. We're nurturers. It's who we are. It's what we do. And then how your life has shaped you, right? I'm the oldest of three. I'm the only girl. And I love to babysit and take care of my younger brothers and the children I babysat for. And then becoming a pediatric nurse, like it is in me to take care of people. And the thing I say to nurses and healthcare providers is that when we leave work, that helping role, that nurture, it doesn't end. You come home and then you're pouring out into your partner, your kids, your pets, your plants, your neighbors, your family. And I always say, you know, you're at a wedding, there's 200 people, you're on the dance floor dancing, having a glass of wine, having a great time, and somebody passes out, falls down, something happens. And right away, it's like, oh, where's Katie? She's a nurse. Katie, come over here. And you're thinking, I thought I was off duty, right? Like you're never really off duty. I actually just bought a shirt at Macy's recently that says off duty because I kind of thought it was like a funny joke because even being home, my fiance one day was in the basement and he came upstairs and he has a shaved head and he was bleeding. He's like, oh man, I hit my head on like a pipe in the basement. And I immediately went into nurse mode. Like I went to clean it, Bacitrace and Band-Aid. And jokingly, he was like, would you stop being a nurse? And I said, I can't. Like, to me, I am Katie, the nurse, the nurturer, the lover. And I want to take care of everybody around me. But I have had to learn how to stop and say, I need to take care of myself today. And so many times people will think, oh, self-care is selfish. Like, oh, what? You're, you're taking care of yourself. You're going to the spa. You're taking a bubble bath. But it's during those times where you give yourself, you know, the half hour alone to meditate, to go on a walk, where you recharge. I mean, we are living in a society, right? Where if you forget your charger, it's like all over. And I worked in the Pete's emergency room for like four and a half years. And when you show up in the emergency room, it's usually unexpected. Nobody had a charger with them. And that was like the first question they asked, right? Do you have a charger? We are so concerned about charging our devices, but we aren't concerned about charging ourselves. Right now, again, it would be great if we had a little like charging, you know, window on our head that let us know that we were down to like one bar, right? Because then we could say, oh, It's time for me to recharge. We have to learn that. We have to learn to listen to the messages that our body is giving us, to listen to the signals, right? Like back pain, 
leg pain, headache, feeling foggy, we have to stop, listen to those messages and say, I think I need to like stay home tonight. I think I need to go to bed earlier. I think I need to lay down for a little bit. I think I need to drink some water. I think I'm just going to lay down and read a book for a while or listen to some music. But unfortunately, again, we're living in a society, in a world where it's so fast paced, technology, life, everything's moving so fast. Now, I believe that COVID-19 has definitely taught a lot of us how to slow down. And so maybe that's one of the lessons that's coming from this pandemic is that, oh man, I did have to learn how to slow down and recharge myself. And that is true self-preservation because as we all know, eventually that car that runs out of gas is just going to stop. That phone, that computer, that tablet that runs out of battery is not going to turn back on. And we're given this one beautiful life. And the time that we have here, we want to use, we want to thrive. We want to squeeze all the juices out of it, like my mom always says. But we're not going to be able to if we don't take those moments and say, excuse me, time to recharge, go into the charging station. And then guess what? I'll be back as my most vibrant self. That's so important. Speaks to me in so many different ways. Before starting Emerge Thriving, I was in construction. And the mentality, I'm not saying this is labeling this in any way, but just describing the mentality is we're here to perform a job. We're here to build something. And we all have roles to play. And there's a timeline. And there's a cost. And so you're always thinking about what is it this, that we're here to do? And are we on track? So there could be times where you're hungry, you're thirsty, you're tired. You need a mental health day. I mean, there's, there's, it's so clear and you know it, but you train yourself and it doesn't feel like training. It just feels like being a good worker, but you're basically training yourself to ignore and to suppress. Well, I'll just I'll get a drink and my next break. Well, the time comes for your next break and maybe it's not ideal. You're getting interrupted all the time. I'll just eat at my desk. Like is, is, the list just goes on and on and it doesn't feel like training yourself to suppress your needs. But really that's what you're doing over time and it becomes so habitual. So then when I left that and I was had the opportunity to really take a look I mean, well, I'm in health and wellness, so I'm constantly taking a look at how I'm doing and what, you know, areas to heal and grow. So that's that's what my life is now. But so as I was doing that, I was realizing how much I had to unlearn and that this is a different environment. This is a different space for me. And also, I think the Amy today might have operated differently in that environment too. But it was just kind of, um, I, you know, I want to do a good job and maybe it's some of that template, you know, live up to your own expectation. You know, some of that, the way that we're raised and the thought process that we had there, I'm sure came into play too in my instinct to want to just perform. And so now I'm learning how to, li- what actually does it mean to listen to your body and really, really figuring out what that is, really paying attention. And it took some time to do that, to really, if I, to honor 
what my needs were. So when we're talking about self-preservation or self-care, you only get to the step from being in a place of drain to being able to recharge if you honor the fact that you need to recharge and that recharging has value. And it is the most important and the right thing to do in this moment. Your instinct may be to self-sacrifice. But over time, that is so detrimental. And honestly, you're not bringing your, your healthy self to your relationships, to your parenting, to your professional life. And when we're talking about cultivating self-worth and, and helping ourselves on this journey in life, we're basically counteracting that every step of the way if we're invalidating our very human needs. And I think in order to really change our lives from, at least speaking for myself, in order to really change my life and really heal, I had to first validate, recognize that I had this need, validate that this need was important, and then learn how to tend to that need. So I really appreciate everything that you're sharing there. It would make it really easy if we had kind of a battery bar to say where we are, because then honestly, it would be validated by others. Oh yeah, your battery is low. You should go do something about that. But we, we don't have that. So we have to be the own determiners about where we're at, what we need, and then create space to be able to do that, which segues really well into our next conversation. We're just on a really good track here. But we're, we want, when we first were meeting and talking, something that we really connected, and we connected on a lot of different areas, but this is something that came up, being a yes person. So when we're talking about self-care, self-preservation, it doesn't go well when you are constantly that person that doesn't have strong boundaries or feels a real compulsion to say yes to other people's needs to prioritize their needs over your own. Then you really aren't left with much room or space to take care of yourself. So what are some of the ways that we can, in, we can counteract that impulse to deprioritize our needs to an unhealthy extent mm. over the needs of others? Yeah. I mean, I loved this topic that we talked about too, because it's something that I'm really working on for myself, even over this past year, that I've definitely been a yes person for most of my life. And I think it, again, stems from wanting to please everybody so nobody would be mad. I always say I don't like confrontation. So I would say yes. And you know, I feel like probably I wasn't totally aware of how detrimental it was to myself and my own self-preservation until probably like within the past maybe 10 years of, I guess in a way I kind of got tired <laughs> of being that yes person. But like we said, you know, once you're the yes person and people come to you and ask you for stuff. They're expecting it from you and you know that and you feel that from people. And I remember when I was probably like a nurse, maybe, I don't even know, maybe a year or so. And one of our patients, her parents couldn't visit. They were busy at home or working, whatever was going on. And so she was by herself. She was five years old. And I punched out of work at 7.30 p.m. But then I stayed there with her to like play with her in the playroom and hang out just a little bit so she wouldn't be alone. And my head nurse came over to me and said, Katie, you have to go home. And I said, I know. I punched out. Don't worry. You know, she said, 
no, I'm not worried about that. I know you did, but you, you have to come back tomorrow. And I said, I know, but she asked if I would stay and I want to stay and like, just play with her for a little while. And it was like my head nurse, you know, who was five, seven years ahead of me in nursing already knew that giving of yourself and being that yes person was eventually going to wear me out. So that was like the first little flicker that she was trying to teach me. And then, you know, maybe eight years into my career or so, maybe six years, because it was before I left to travel. And I was a home care nurse as well. And my director asked me to do a home care visit on November 22nd of that year. She said, would you be able to do a visit on November 22nd? And I said, oh, I'm off that day from work. It's my birthday. And she said, oh, that's nice. Yeah, it'll just be like real quick. It'll just be like a half hour visit in the morning. Now, I was always saying yes. I was always staying late for the overtime, staying the extra hour or four hours for my shift, coming in on a day off. So people were asking me, and so what if it was my birthday? Right? They they want to know if I could just it's just gonna be a little bit in the morning. And unfortunately, because I didn't want anybody to get mad at me, I would then continue to say yes, but in my gut, like we talked about, like, you know, and I love how you said that, like your gut says no, but your lips are saying yes to someone. And what I've learned over the past couple years, and especially the past year or two, is that most people, if they ask you for something because you know you've always kind of said yes to them, you might think, but what if I say no? What if they don't ask me again? And I always say, oh, let me tell you something, sister. They're still going to ask you, right? Like just because you said no once, they're not like, oh, Katie's never ever going to do this. A week later, two weeks later, they're going to ask you again. But the thought process that we have to start to have is that If I say no to them, I'm saying yes to myself. Because once again, we've like detached ourselves. We're taking care of everybody else. We're saying yes to everybody else. But what about you? And I use the example like, let's say you have a weekend coming up where you have nothing planned. And so you were kind of thinking, that'll be really nice. Maybe I'll go Christmas shopping. Here we are, December 1st, recording this. Like, maybe I'll go Christmas shopping. I'll start to decorate my tree. And then someone asks you if you can help volunteer at an event. And maybe it's an event that you have volunteered at before. And your first thought in your gut is like, oh, not that weekend. But you find yourself kind of smiling like, yeah, what what time is it again? Okay, right. And then, then what I know I have found myself doing is in those situations, then I complain about it to whoever will listen. Like my fiance, my mom, my best friend, like, oh, guess what? So-and-so asked me to be at this event and I really don't want to do it. And then you're hoping that something happens in the universe, like a major blizzard that cancels it so you don't have to go. But why put all that energy into something like that? And so what I have learned, because it's been a process for me to learn how to say no, And something that I teach my clients and I use myself is that when someone asks me something these days, now when it's in person, 
Yeah, it's a little bit harder because sometimes I'm at work and I'm in like the thick of it and I'm in hour like nine, 10 of my 12 hour shift. And my head nurse or director comes up to me and says, Katie, there was a sick call tonight. Is there any way you could just stay like an extra hour or so until we kind of get things settled? And you're in that moment. And, you know, usually I'll find myself saying, I guess I can't, sure. And another thing is that because I've been a nurse 21 years and because in those 21 years, I've never had children, I've never been the one to be like, I have to go home to the kids. I don't have a dog. I have, I can't say I have to go home to get to the dog. And so I found myself like thinking, well, I guess I could stay, right? It'll be a little more money. I'm exhausted. And I've really noticed over the past two years that by hour 10, I'm done. Like my energy is low and I'm like, I'm ready. And I get through my next two hours, but like I am ready to go home. So to tack on another hour, because I don't want someone to feel bad, but I'm already on E. Again, once again, we have to remember what is it doing to us? So the tip that I give my clients and I use myself is now when someone says to me, Hey, Katie, you know, we're having this event and I know you were there last year to speak. And this happened to me recently where someone said, I would love for you to come and speak. And what I do is I practice the power of the pause. And I pause for a minute and I say, oh, you know what? Thank you so much for asking me again. I'm going to have to check my calendar and get back to you. Perfect example is that I spoke at an event last year and it was in person. Obviously now 2020, everything's virtual, but I spoke at this event last year and it was great. And in my mind, I was hoping to network with some people and maybe grow my business there, maybe get a client or two there. And that was my hope. And this year they were doing it uh, virtually and they asked me again, if I could speak that day and they would set it up on the Zoom and I would do my talk again. And I had a lot going on over the past two or three months. And so my first thought in my gut was, I don't really want to commit to that because it's not serving me right now. And that's another lesson that I have learned is that, is it going to serve me? And, you know, some people might think like, does that self sound selfish? Is it serving you? No. Is it serving your highest self? Is it serving your mind, body, and spirit? And so I thought about it. I took the power of the pause and it was over an email. So I had the time to think about it. And I wrote back and I said, thank you so much for asking me again. Unfortunately, I have a lot going on in my life right now, and I'm unable to do the event that day. But I did a great meditation on one of my YouTube videos where I talk about self care. So I'm going to send you the link to that. And I would love for you to share it with your community. And she wrote back and said, Thank you so much. Yes, we will definitely share this link. And I'm happy to hear you're doing well. And it just felt so good that I was able to recognize 
first of all, that it didn't serve me, that I was able to stand in my power and say, thank you so much, but I'm unable to do it. And that I closed the loop, right? Like we always talk about closed loop communication at work, but that I closed the loop. I thank them for the opportunity. Now, next year, who knows? Maybe she'll ask me, maybe she won't. And we don't know what what will be happening next year, but you're not leaving it on a bad note. You're not saying like, no, I can't in an email and sending the email back. And you don't have to give them a million reasons. I know so many times in life, we feel like we have to say, oh, I can't, I'm sorry. It's my uncle's birthday. It's my yada, 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 yada. And we always say like, no is a complete sentence. But we usually feel the need to say like, I really appreciate it, but unfortunately I can't because I have another event that day. And so learning how to say no to someone else is really saying yes to yourself. If you practice that and think about that in your mind, the next time that comes up and you take the power of the pause and you take that deep breath and you say, let me think about it, you're taking back the power. And then if it's something you want to do, go for it, right? But if it's not and it doesn't serve you and it's taking away from you or your family at that time, you have every right to say no. They've just asked you. And you can delicately put the ball back in their court and say, thank you so much for asking, but I'm unable to do it at this time. And that is serving me so much right now in my life. I'm seeing where I'm saying no has said yes to me, and I'm seeing the benefits in my life. Having those techniques about what to say in the moment, like the power of the pause or a gracious way to express that you appreciate the opportunity and maybe now is not the best time. Just a way of responding to people that feels comfortable and natural and is something uh, someone could practice is so important. I really think it's those tools that can help us try to implement boundaries like that in the different situations that things present themselves and then we have to kind of respond to it in the moment. And then also, I, I think, too, this is something there's, you know, speaking just for myself, there's been maybe more anxiety than there should be in saying no, or more fear than there should be. I think it's very common for people to really, oh, I don't want to disappoint and whatnot. But if you have a real aversion to saying no, and you find yourself in situations where you're saying yes, or just simply not responding and allowing something to move forward that really shouldn't move forward. That again is another indicator that therapy can be something can really help you get to the root reasons of why something is happening. But just in general, if it's just, you know, trying to identify what would I say in that moment and how do I determine when I should say no and when I should be saying yes, you know, this is such a great conversation for that to kind of get those wheels turning and that we can look at ourselves as we're going through these different situations in life and say, you know, what's important to me and then honor that, respect that. What are your, and then this is important to, to do as well, because if you're trying to take steps towards something that's important to you or trying to kind of live the life that feels authentic and right for you, we're going to need some of those tools to be able to do that. So what are your thoughts on taking steps towards, 
I'm going to use the word dreams. I know people use different words, ambitions or purposes or things that are just important to them that they really want to be a part of their life. How does self-worth play a role in that process and taking steps towards experiences, dreams, relationships, jobs, careers that are important to them? Oh, I love this, Amy. Again, this is like part of my jam too. I love this talking about dreams and, you know, moving forward in your life with, with what's on your heart. I know I talked about the last time that we talked that one of the business coaches that I worked with, Amber Liliestrom, one of her famous lines is, if the dream is in you, it is for you. And when she said that a couple years ago, when I first started working with her, I mean, that hit me right in the heart because it's so easy to understand. I mean, it's so right there in your face. If the dream is in you, it's for you. So when I was thinking over the past couple years that I had this dream inside of me to stand on a stage and speak to women about their self-worth and their self-love, I then would remember what Amber said to me and that this dream was meant for me because why would I even think of something like that if it wasn't aligned with my passions and what my purpose is in this world. And maybe we don't know what our dreams and hopes are when we're young or in our you know early 20s, and it could change. But what's funny, Amy, is when I was a little girl, when I would think about what I wanted to be when I grew up, I was always thinking, you know, wife and mom, But career-wise, it was either going to be a news anchor or a nurse or a physical therapist. And what's really funny is that here I am now, I launched my podcast this past June, and I've been speaking on stages for the past three years to nurses. So that, you know, news anchor dream of speaking about people's stories and to people has become a reality in my life where now I'm speaking. And so what I think is one of the biggest steps or some of the steps we can take learning that is that we shouldn't feel like what we're doing now is the only thing we should be doing. And that maybe am I too old? Like, am I too old to change careers? I mean, I'm 44 years old. And when I think, okay, I have 21 years of bedside nursing under my belt, I don't think I'm going to be another 21 years at the bedside because my dreams have evolved differently. And so I see myself more in my business and speaking and traveling and speaking to nurses over the next however many years. So if I thought, well, I guess I'm too old, like, Why would I ever want to try anything else? Because the fear is, would I know how to do anything else? You know, and I know, you know, for a lot of people in my profession too, that feel burnt out and feel like, well, I've been a nurse for 25 years or 30 years. So what else would I possibly do? But we have to learn that we take baby steps towards that new dream career or goal like we were talking about and 
with the business coach that I'm working with now, we talk about when I started nursing, because my business coach is also a nurse. So, you know, it's amazing because we have that in common and we talk about it. You know, when I started as a new grad nurse 21 years ago, I was not confident at all. I mean, I was nervous every day, starting IVs, accessing portacats, hanging medications, giving chemotherapy. I mean, yes, I had the knowledge of nursing school. I had my preceptor with me. I was studying and learning, you know, that first year. But every night I went home praying that I didn't kill someone and hoping that when I went back to work the next day, they were still alive. And so my business coach will say to me, Katie, here you are launching your business. You have your podcast. You have had a couple clients this year. But why do you think that you would already be? making as much money this year as you do as a nurse right now, or that you would have all the clients and that you would have everything lined up and feel confident in your offers when this is really like the first year that you're really doing that. And when I am then able to say, you're right, because when I was a new grad nurse, I was not thinking like, oh, I got this. Yeah, I know all this. I know all these meds. I can put this IV in. Like I can hang this chemo. I know every side effect of this chemo. And so, I mean, and it took a couple years for me to really gain the confidence. And then I started travel nursing. So I was then put back in a situation where I was in an unfamiliar environment, you know, feeling nervous to start somewhere new and maybe feeling like I didn't know everything about that institution and that computer system and this patient population. So I think it's like you said before, giving ourselves the grace. I love that, that we have to give ourselves the grace that when we start something new and my business coach and I, last night we had our session and she was saying to me, you think that you're supposed to have all the confidence in something that you've never really done before. So you're not doing it. Like once again, we talked about you're not doing it because you're scared and you're not doing it because you're feeling like you're lacking the confidence in it, but you've never done it before. So you have to remember, you have to go back to those first couple months as a new grad nurse where you just did it, right? You had worked really hard. You went to nursing school, you passed the boards, and then you started working, right? You didn't know what it was going to look like. You didn't feel confident. and so. If you have a dream in you, if you're pursuing a different career occupation, you have to A, give yourself the grace that just like we said before, it's not going to look pretty at the beginning and B, also celebrate the small steps, the small wins, right? Like I love talking about, I love talking about my nephews anyway, but my youngest nephew is 14 months, going to be 15 months old. And, you know, he takes one step and like the whole family celebrates and they videotape it and they send it and we all clap and we're like, Shawnee, you can do it. Like it takes two steps. It's like, oh my gosh, he took two steps, right? Here we are as adults and we're expecting to be off and running. When my nephew, baby Sean was born, we didn't expect him to walk. I mean, hello, he's 15 months old. And he's learning how to walk now and start to run a little bit. 
nobody was thinking, wow, I can't believe he hasn't walked yet. It's taken a long time. Like, shouldn't he have been walking like 15 months ago? But we do that to ourselves, right? We're like, oh, I'm going to start this new business. I have a dream. I want to start writing a book. And we expect that we're going to go from zero to 60 in 2.5 seconds. We're not going to fall once. I mean, has anybody ever watched a you know toddler learn how to walk? I mean, they're falling all the time. That's why you baby-proof your house, right? But we're scared to fall, so we're not even going to try. So we don't baby-proof anything. We don't even try to fall because we're scared. But like I said, and like we've talked about, is you know dying with that dream inside of you. One of my friends, Dominic Cartuccio, he wrote a book called Design Your Future. And it's literally about the steps to take to design the life that you want to lead. And he has a quote in there that sends shivers down my spine. Every time I hear it, it gives me chills. I love sharing it with people. Like it's so, what's the word I'm looking for? Sums up like when you have a dream. And this quote says, what is the definition of hell? And it says, hell is actually on your last day on this earth. You meet the person you could have become. So I remind myself of that quote because I know that there's more in me. And I believe that everybody knows that and feels that. Like everybody has some kind of dream on their heart. Whether your dream is the amazing kitchen you want in your house, or the trip to Italy you want to take with your family, or the book you want to write, or the business that you want to launch, or the baby that you want to have, we all have dreams inside of us, right? I mean, that's part of the beauty of living. But we don't know the next step to take, the first step to take, I should say, to get there. And so, I, one of the tools I give is to like surround yourself with the community of people that are doing it. Like I wanted to be a podcaster. So I started listening to podcasts like four years ago. And then I started listening to podcasts about podcasts and then reading books on podcasting or marketing or public speaking right? And then I started following people that were public speakers or motivational speakers. And then I started listening to people, women inspiring women. I started listening to talks about self-care and burnout and stress in the workplace because, and that was the first step for me, right? So find the community that you want to be involved in. You want to learn how to play the guitar, buy a book, download something nowadays. I mean, you could learn how to play the guitar watching a YouTube video. You probably first have to buy a guitar, then watch the YouTube video, right? That's the first step. The second step is also tell your loved ones, tell your best friend, tell one of your coworkers what your dream is, right? So that you have someone so that you actually get it out of your mouth and out of your head, right? Because nobody's going to know, like nobody's going to know that you want to learn how to crochet a blanket this year if you never tell them that. And then all of a sudden, maybe they know someone that can help you. Maybe they've crocheted a blanket before and they can give you tips on it. So verbalize it. 
start to talk about it because that, that also goes along with like the manifesting of what you want. You're putting it out to the universe. I firmly believe in that, that if you start to put it out in the universe, things will start to show up in ways that you didn't expect. And then start to believe in yourself, start to strengthen the belief muscle. So just like you go to the gym, you strengthen your biceps, your quads, right? I love talking about strengthening the belief muscle because it is a muscle. I firmly believe like everything else in our body, all of our muscles, that belief muscle, you have to work on it. And whether that looks like looking in the mirror every day and saying, I am going to write my book this year, or I'm going to learn how to play the guitar, or you start writing it down on a post-it note and you stick it on a mirror in your bathroom, or you tell your partner every day, I'm going to learn how to play the guitar this year. I signed up for a guitar lesson, right? Those are the tips and the tools that I use, that I give my clients, that I talk about with my friends and my families, because I want everybody to pursue their dreams and hope that they fulfill all of their dreams because I'm on that path myself where I am I am on that path. I want to pursue these dreams. I feel so fired up about them. You know, even talking about them now, it just like makes me smile and like really raises my vibration because I feel like how exciting that we have this opportunity, this life that we've been given to pursue all of those beautiful dreams that are on our heart. I think that's a message that we need to hear and receive for our mental well-being, our spiritual well-being, our emotional well-being, and as a result, our physical well-being too. Just cultivating that sense of peace and connection with ourselves and what is giving us that fulfillment. And I really appreciate you giving that description of what it could feel like to get to the end of our life and have a clear picture of what we Mm. were designed to be. All of the natural skill sets, all of the things that we come equipped with and we just need to cultivate, give practice to, give practice to, give life to, give time to, give energy to, Mm. to kind of bring them to fruition and bring them forward in a way that brings purpose and meaning, not just to ourselves, but to others, that version of ourselves. And it reminds me one of the things that I have to, every step of the way, there isn't really any point that I get to where it's just not a problem anymore, is that shitting on yourself. You mentioned putting a post up earlier in our conversation, talking exactly about this. It's so important that if we make a mistake or we do something, we don't get in the habit of judging and criticizing ourselves. Because right now we're in this space where we are thinking of a vision of what we want our life to be. And that is a sweet space to be in. And there's going to be another time where you have made that mistake or you have said something you didn't intend or whatnot. Do not should on yourself. Do not say, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done this. There's a moment where you take some reflection to think about maybe what you would do a little bit differently, that's personal growth. Mm -hmm. But when you've gone beyond that point and now you're self-sabotaging, that is going to kill your momentum. I love the gift that you're sharing with us. And I appreciate the gift that you gave us earlier about don't shit on yourself. And I just wanted to bring that back up again. You know, as we are going forward, practice that. If Mm -hmm. That can be one of the most powerful things that you do 
is practicing being a good friend to yourself, being a good ally to yourself, having your own back, tapping into that self-care and creating space for something that's really important to you and don't self-sabotage along the way. Is there a final thought that you'd like to share with us before we part ways today? Wow, this has been like so amazing, Amy. Thank you for this opportunity. And I think really just summing it all up is going for it. I think like we talked about, you know, going by my business coach's advice, if the dream is in you, it is for you by my business coach, Amber Liliestrom, because 2020 has been such a year for everybody. And I do firmly believe that it really kind of, one of the biggest lessons was to slow down and to really evaluate your life. And I believe that many people are happy in their lives. I do believe that there are many happy people and relationships and a lot of good in a lot of our lives. But there are those moments, those thoughts where maybe we have a dream, maybe we've been thinking about doing something different, but we're scared. And like I said, I always say that we've been given this one life and it's not a dress rehearsal. We don't get to do it again. So learning to go for it, learning that the first, second, third, 10th, 15th time is going to be messy. There's no such thing as perfect, but you'll never know unless you try. And maybe you'll try it and you'll think, you know what? That's really not for me. I didn't love it as much as I thought I would, but at least you tried it. But how amazing would it be if you tried it, you messed up, you tried it again, you messed up, you tried it again, and all of a sudden you're finding yourself waking up every day excited about the life that you're living, excited to step into your day every day and be surrounded by the people that you're surrounded with, and that you're fulfilling your hopes and dreams and goals. Like that to me, when I think about that, is like, why wouldn't I? want to try something if that's what's on the other side, right? That's what's outside of our comfort zone. We're so scared to leave our comfort zone. I know I was for a very long time and I still like to be comfortable, but how do we know what's outside of there unless we venture out? So having the support around you, strengthening your belief muscle and knowing that this is the one life you have to try this, I would say go for it go with your whole heart, believe in yourself, and trust in the process. I love it. I so cherish you, and I so cherish this conversation. I thank you. And I know I'm staying connected with you, and I'm sure other people will want to stay connected with you too. So what's a good way to do that? Are you on social media? How can we get in touch with you if we have questions? Oh, I would love that. Amy, first of all, thank you so much for having me. And I love that we have found each other and connected because our last conversation and this conversation have just been so powerful and I feel so connected to you. So thank you for that. And yes, I would love for anybody that wants to get in touch with me. I am on social media. I'm on Instagram a lot and I'm there as Katie Carroll Coaching and it's K-A-T-I-E-C-A-R-R-O-L-L Coaching. And then I'm on Facebook as Katie Carroll Coaching as well. And then my website is katiecarrollcoaching.com. 
And there I have um, a link if someone wants to schedule a free discovery call with me. I have a three-month coaching program called Journey to Joy, where I help women learn how to thrive today and love themselves exactly as they are today. That is truly my mission in this world. So I would be so excited to connect with others. So thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for a great conversation and for sharing how we can cultivate self-worth and take steps towards the life that we want to live. We appreciate you and we look forward to staying connected. If you have a wellness topic that is important to you, let us know by visiting emergethriving.com forward slash podcast.